let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer here. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for giving us this time together, giving us this night. And thank you, God, that even if the day is not gone the way it was planned, that it's a day that you have planned. And, Lord, we know that your plans all work together for our good. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for being able to be together here tonight. And just ask you, Lord, to allow us to receive what you have for us. Help us, God, to pay attention to those things that you want us to pay attention to. And even though the, the lesson may be um, basic to some, there's some good there that we can pick out of it, and there's some stuff that perhaps, perhaps we hadn't thought of for a while. Whatever, God, we ask you to take the things of this lesson tonight and kind of refresh our memories, refresh our spirit. Allow us, God, to focus in on who we are in you, what it is, God, that you've provided for us and the blessings that we can be to other people just by listening and carrying on the way that you want us to. So, Father, we trust that this will be a good evening and a good night in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. For those of you at home, if you're just joining with us, uh, we started last week a new series, a new teaching series. And uh, I'm not sure where this thing belongs this week. We've got people all over the place. We'll kind of split the difference here. How's that? Anyway, we start a new series on uh, articles of faith. So basically, you can call it, you know, who we are, what we believe, the articles of faith, the Church of God believes, or whatever you want to term it. But we're going over some of the basic teachings that we believe in. And while that may be old hat for some people, uh, I discovered something over the years that we, we take some of the basic stuff a lot of times in our, our teachings, and they've, they're taken for granted. Like tonight, we're going to be looking at, at uh, the Trinity. And sometimes, you know, we'll take something like that, the Trinitarian teaching, and think, well, you know, we know that. Everybody accepts that. We believe that. And we don't talk about it much. So we just take it for granted, you know, because everybody understands it. Everybody knows. And somewhere down the line, it turns out that uh, we end up with a, a lot of people in our churches that really couldn't explain why we believe in the Trinity or really explain what the Trinity is because they've never really been taught. They've just been one of those folks that's been kind of grandfathered in, you know, and said, well, you understand that you're part of our church. You're part of our denomination. You, you know what it's all about, just like everybody else does. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Last week was the uh, Article 1, was belief in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. And uh, that's, it's on, online. If you missed it, you can go to our podcast or our, um, stream either one and pick it up. Uh, this week, we look at Article 2. Article 2 says, We believe in one God, eternally existing in three persons, 
namely the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let me, let me ask you this as we get started here. What do we know about the Holy Ghost? What do we know about the Father, the Son? What do we know about the three-in-one, the Trinity? I mean, just, just anybody. What? Nobody wants to... Okay, comforter, instructor, creator. How would you explain the Trinity to somebody? Okay, Father. Okay, explain it as a triangle. Anybody else heard it explained any other way? I know there's a bunch of different uh, examples people have used over the years. Y'all, y'all too quiet now. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Steve. The reason I ask this is because most people got some understanding, even people that don't believe in the Trinity. Basically, I mean, you know, the belief in the Trinity or when we talk about the Trinity, Trinity, Trinitarian doctrine, you know, we're basically speaking of the fact that what I read there in that article, that God exists as one God but he's eternally existing as one God, yet at the same time, eternally existing as three persons. And it gets a little confusing. There's um, some other religions, you know, that look at us, particularly some of the, uh, um, uh, some of the uh, uh, missionaries have run into this. They try to share the, the gospel with people, and they're willing to worship, but to them it's three gods. And a lot of people ask, how come Christians believe in three gods? And trying to explain that we don't believe in three gods, but just one God, it gets, gets a little, little hairy and a little confusing for a lot of them. Uh, you know, namely, one thing people uh, that don't believe in Trinitarian doctrine, one thing they'll throw up quite often and say, well, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. You'll never find Trinity in the Bible any place. And there are, you know, groups here in this country that, that don't believe in the Trinity. And that's, that's true. I mean, you won't find it in Scripture any place. But uh, it, it, it's hardly evidence that it's a false doctrine just because you don't find the word in the Bible. I mean, failure to appear in Scripture hardly constitutes heresy. Uh, you know, for example, well, no, another word they have problem with also is rapture. Might as well hit that one too. Rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. 
And people say, well, yeah, we don't believe in it. It's not in the Scripture. Oh, well, okay. Do you believe in discipleship? You won't find that word in the Bible either. How about halo? Believe in halos? That's not in the Bible. There's one, one that I, I like. It's comforting to me. It's not in the Bible. It's the word problem. You got problems? Well, if you want to go with that mindset, you got problems. Hey, it's unscriptural. That word's not in the Bible anyplace. Don't worry about it, you know. But by the same token, the word solution is not in the Bible either. <laughs> There's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible. And trying to, to use that as an excuse for not believing a particular doctrine or uh, definition or something is, is just that. It's just an excuse. It's a way to try, to try to justify matters and feel better. But our God is one God, eternally existing as three people. Three people, three persons. Uh, in Deuteronomy, and I apologize for this. I, I've had a lot of things going on this week, and I forgot to send scriptures back here to the to media team so they don't have them to throw up here for us. <laughs> so hopefully you brought your Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay, so if there's any question about us believing in three gods, that ought to settle that one. It also says in Deuteronomy uh, 4.35, says, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. And Isaiah makes a reference also, chapter 42 and verse 8, says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory. My glory will I not give to another, and neither my praise to graven images. So God declares in his own word that he is one God. But then we get into this three persons thing. Isaiah referenced one God, but he implied that he is more than one person. And trying to figure out how that happens and explaining it to people, you know, is, uh, like I said, it could get to be get to be a bit of a headache. And you can do the, the triangle, and you can do uh, water. And uh, I, I think perhaps one of the best that I've seen it was put in the form of an object lesson. You know, I've heard people explain uh, use water, ice, and steam to explain the Trinity. Said, so, well. Water, ice, and steam. You've got a solid, a gas, and a liquid, and they're all, they're all the same. They're all water. They're all 100% water. But they exist at different times and different places, too. And this doesn't exactly, uh, exactly get the point across without any, uh, any crossover. But I have seen take a, a skillet like a, an iron skillet, you know, a good hot iron skillet. And once that thing gets good and hot, just put an ice cube in it. And almost immediately you have solid, gas, and liquid all right there at the same time. And that's, although, you know, I, I don't believe God looks that way, 
especially since we're made in his image and likeness. But that does, to me, help me understand a little bit better in my limited comprehension of how God can operate that way. We have one God, but this one God, man, I mean, what all does he do? I mean, you know, he's involved in every facet of life. Creation itself is due to, you know, him speaking forth his word. That by his word, all things were made. There's nothing that exists that God didn't create. And when we pray, you know, we're taught to, Jesus gave an example, pray, you know, our Father. Pray to him as a father. He also, you know, if you, if you need some, some motherly attention, you know, God's a good mother too. He's a good brother. God's a teacher. He's our healer. He's the one that helps us to understand anything that we need to understand. Every facet of our life depends on him. And the fact that God wears so many hats, to me that makes it a little bit confusing. How do you, how do you figure? How do you keep it straight, God? But, you know, when we look in, at his working, when you just hear somebody speak of God, who are they talking about? Father? Talking about spirit? Are they talking about Jesus? Are they talking about all three? What do they mean when they say God? And it can get confusing. It can get to so much so that particularly since... Uh, We've gotten involved in uh, Celebrate Recovery. We've met people that come from several different walks of life. And people are willing, some people anyway, are willing to accept God. And they'll tell you, you know, I've accepted God in my life. Uh, I believe in God. I, I trust God. And when I pray, I pray to God and Jesus. And like, do I? That always gets me. You pray to God and Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? And a lot of them can't really quite explain it then because they've never been taught anything about this Trinitarian doctrine. Never been taught that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And you know, if you get to talking to somebody about their salvation and they start talking about praying to God and Jesus or God and the Spirit or, uh, you know, you, you might want to dig a little deeper. Although they may be sincere in their, uh, their belief, they may have never actually asked the Father to forgive their sins in the name of Jesus. They may have just throw God out there someplace. And although that sounds good, the biblical formula for salvation is a lot more than just saying, God, forgive me. You know, we're to, go, we're to go to the Father in the name of Jesus by the Spirit. So you might dig a little deeper and see if they really, really are saved. Does they really know what uh, their salvation or their love of God is, 
is based upon. Uh, Webster defines the spirit in a lot of different ways. And Isaiah makes some references to God and spirit. Uh, when you look at Webster, okay, you know, basic, basic English, okay? A noun can be a person, place, or thing. Two definitions keep in mind pertaining to Scripture as uh, we talk about a noun. The spirit can be an animating or vital uh, principle held to give life to physical organisms. Spirit can be a supernatural being or supernatural essence, like the Holy Spirit or soul. Uh, sometimes the spirit's referred to as a, a malevolent being, uh, bodiless, but become can become visible, can become invisible. Ooh, you know, ghost. You know, <laughs> and the spirit also uh, it can be referred to as a thing and a person at the same time. So when you start talking about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Spirit, Holy Spirit. We're not talking about some disembodied uh, ghost floating around somewhere, but God and Spirit refer to the fact that God is a Spirit. The scripture tells us that He is a Spirit, and those that worship Him must do so in Spirit and in truth. Um, Genesis 1-2 says the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Here we see in, in the very creation that it speaks of the Spirit of God. Isaiah 48-16 says, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that was, there I am. And now the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. Job makes reference to the spirit and God also. He says, the spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the almighty hath given me life. And just a couple more scriptures here. Micah 3.8. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgressions and Israel his sin. And Zechariah 7.12 says, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law. And the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by his Spirit, by the former prophets, Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Some of those references, when we read God and Spirit, well, God we pretty much know they're talking about, you know, quote, the supreme being. But how do you know Spirit? It's not a hard, fast rule because I found it, it doesn't always work this way in uh, 
all of our translations. I think the King James sticks to it probably better than a lot of them, but most of the time when the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit is referred to, it's a capital S. And other time it's a small s. I mean, which kind of simple, basic English. But then you find a few places where that doesn't, doesn't necessarily fit. Whenever we read about the Spirit in Scripture, you know, we need to take the, uh, take the opportunity or take the time to look at it and ask ourselves, now, is this referring to that thing that's within me that makes me who I am? That thing that uh, is alive in me? That thing that when it leaves this body will just collapse? Or are we talking about the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit? Because it can make a big difference in how we uh, interpret whatever it is that we're reading. God uses the uh, plural quite often when he refers to himself. There's another reason we, refer, we believe in the, you know, the Trinity is because God doesn't always say just me or I or mine. He uses us quite a bit. Um, matter of fact, when you go back into the uh, creation account, back in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, and over every creepeth thing, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay, we're talking the very beginning of the Bible. Who's, if God is not eternally existent as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who's he talking to then? Any idea? It says, let us make, God, make man in our image. There wasn't anybody else around. Unless God was talking. <laughs> but God's talking to himself. <laughs> See, the next time somebody gets after you for talking to yourself, you tell them, hey, I'm in good company. God did it all the time. he refers, and, and when Jesus prayed, you know, Jesus prayed to the Father. When God spoke, whether he was in the, the person of Father, Son, or Holy Ghost, when he spoke, it was unique in the fact that he could talk to himself and it'd be something important. Because as we look at the, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they all seem to have different responsibilities, different uh, works that they carry out, if you will. And uh, we'll get back into that in a minute. In the, uh, in the Hebrew, I think most of us have probably heard God referred to at some point as Elohim. And... Uh, Elohim is a, it's, it's an interesting, interesting word. I'm not a, you know, a Greek or Hebrew scholar. I had to look, you know, look this stuff up. But Elohim is a plural form. 
know, the form of that word, it means more than one. But as it's used, it's understood and used in a singular sense. The word Elohim is a plural singular. And when in Genesis, the words say, in the beginning, God, and the God translated from the word Elohim there, created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is a, a monotheistic, meaning one. But in the structure of the sentence, the grammar indicates that it is polyestic, more than one. So when we read that in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, or in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth, we're reading that in the beginning one God created heaven and earth, but he did it in the form of different in the form of more than one God. You know, when you've got this in the very beginning of the Bible, to me that's kind of hard to, to look later on and think, well, you know, there's no, there's no basis for this. This is one of the very first things that we find in Scripture, that God is presented as a triune being. And as far as that goes, so are you. So am I. Yeah. You've got a spirit. You live in a body. You have a soul. Those three things make you who you are. You are triune. And those three have got to work together for you to be who you are. If the spirit, soul, or body doesn't work quite right, isn't where it's supposed to be, isn't lined up like it's supposed to be, you ain't lined up like you're supposed to be. <laughs> the meaning of uh, Elohim basically is a supreme one or mighty one. Strength and might. Or one might interpret it as meaning God. It does not describe God as a trinity. But the plurality and unity of God are suggested by that very name. Elohim. There's one noted theologian, um, French Harrington, I think some of you, most of you probably heard his name mentioned if you're not familiar with him. Uh, he went as far as to make a comment when we hear, hear or read in Scripture, holy, holy, holy. He went as far as to suggest the use of the word holy in threes is due to the praise of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I had never really thought about it that way. be honest with you, I'd never really given thought to it. But, uh, yeah, it makes, it makes sense. I'm, from now on, I can't forget that. It's just ingrained in, in my mind now. I'm thinking whenever I hear that now, holy, 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 it takes on a whole brand new meaning. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The Old Testament makes a uh, a great emphasis on the fact that God is one God. And, you know, part of the reason for this is uh, so many of Israel's enemies were people who worshiped multiple gods. And they wanted them to know that 
Israel's God was one. And that one God had more to offer, more to do, and more power than the, you know, ten gods of this group worshipped or the hundreds of this one worshipped or, you know, however many they had. My son spent some time over in, in uh, Japan, and uh, we went over there to visit him while he was, uh, you know, pioneering a church over there. And I asked him about how the people were about accepting Christ. He said, oh, they don't have a problem with that. He said, most of them are Buddhist. He said, and as such, they worship many, many gods. And they're, they're more than eager to yeah, hear, tell them who Christ is and explain to them who Jesus is. They're, so they're more than eager to accept him, along with all the other gods, but not just by himself. They uh, kind of <laughs> kind of a situation. They, they don't have a lot of the equipment that we do. Like, you know, you drive past a farm, you know, and you see a tractor, the seat's way up here, you got to climb up on. Their version of a tractor is more like one of our lawn tractors. And if the thing breaks down beyond repair and it's sitting out in the field, they leave it sit out there long enough. And sooner or later, people begin to worship it because it had a part in opening the ground up and providing for them and letting them have food and sustenance so that they might live. And this is the way that they are with so many, many things and with their gods. So the idea, like I say, of, of worshiping many gods was not, not a foreign idea to them, but the idea that they could worship one god, that was foreign. But then try to explain to them on top of that, that, yeah, worshiping many gods is not the, not the way to go, but our one god eternally exists as three persons. And then... Huh? <laughs> I mean, it just kind of blows them away, and it would me too. But each section, each person of the Godhead, you know, God the Father is uh, the creator. He's the head. He's the creator of all things. He's uh, the source of all things, if you will. And then you have the Son, Jesus, the one who redeems us. Jesus, that perfect sacrifice. Jesus, also known as Emmanuel, God with us. God, the mighty, eternal God with us, existent in flesh, able to, uh, Joseph was a carpenter. I've never read it in the Bible, but somehow I have a hard time believing that Jesus never got a splinter in his finger or never stubbed his toe. Says he was in all, all points tempted like we are. I'm sure he was tempted at times to yell and scream and fight and carry on. He went through a lot of the things that we go through. Matter of fact, he knows every, every temptation that we've ever been through. He is truly God in the flesh. And as God in the flesh, that means... That means something special. You and I got a chance. I mean, we can really make it. We can survive, but we can do more than survive. We can live victoriously. We can excel. We can come out on top. 
because he was and is God in the flesh. Being God in the flesh means you know, he was entirely, completely, 100% God, but at the same time, 100% completely man. And by being in that situation, Jesus showed mankind something. You know, he was a perfect man. And he showed mankind what it would be like if a man was born. You know, just you know, kind of imagine this. A man born, and as he grows up, he never does anything wrong. Never sins. Never even comes close to it. He just lives a perfect life. We can't do that. Man could never do it. You know, Adam and Eve proved that, and from then on, we all have been born with a tendency to sin. But because Jesus never sinned, everybody had an opportunity to look at him and say, this is what a man could be if he could keep the whole of the Scripture. This is what a man could do if he never sinned. And people sometimes think that's almost blasphemous to compare ourselves with God, with Jesus on that level, but that's the truth. He was 100% God and 100% man. And if you or I or anybody else could have from our birth lived with never committing a sin, we've been able to do all the things and live just exactly like Jesus lived. But we didn't have that ability. We needed somebody to save us. We needed somebody to remove that sin. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we ask him to forgive us. You know, the scripture says that we're made clean. It says that, you know, if we ask him to save us, that we are saved. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That very statement, that very statement says, if we were cleansed then 100% from all, right, all unrighteousness, If we're made over again, born again, then the only reason we can't do the things now that Jesus did is because we're listening to his enemy tell us that we can't. We're listening to fear instead of faith, which fear is kind of a form of faith anyway. It's just a perverted form of it. If we just simply have faith in him, we do what he says, we trust him. Many of us have seen miracles happen. And we can continue to see miracles happen because we can be on that, that same plane for a little while. When the day comes that we go to be with the Lord and spend eternity with him in heaven, Paul said there's a time where We'll know as we 
we will know, or we will know as we have been known. I can't exactly quote it now. Well, but what it is, he's saying, as God knows, as God sees, we will one day know and see. We've got all this ahead of us. Jesus had it all right there with him. Jesus knew it all as he walked on this earth. And when, uh, we, you know, we talk about the Spirit, say the Father, the Creator, the Son redeems us, the Spirit is the one that regenerates us. It's the one that may, uh, goes through the actions of cleaning us and filling us with his power. When you see God do something, I mean, you actually physically, you see something happen. You know it's God. You hear something. You know it's God. There's some manifestation that takes place, and you know that manifestation is God. That's the Holy Spirit working. He is the moving, manifesting power of God, the force of God upon this earth. So we have these three aspects of God that are more than just aspects. We have these three aspects that are actually three persons that make God who and what he is. There's some examples of the, the unity of the Trinity in action. You know, it's not just, well, Jesus, I'll go over here and do my thing, and, you know, the Holy Spirit, well, I'm going to do this over here, and God, God the Father said, nah, nah, y'all just, I'm going to sit back and take it easy. I'll do what you want to God works as one. He works in unity. Uh, Matthew 3.16, uh, the speaking of Jesus when he was baptized, he went straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. He had the presence there of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, the next verse says, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. They're the Trinity, without a doubt, in person. Not persons, in person. Uh, Peter, he tried to explain the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on Pentecost in terms of the Trinity. Uh, he was, was speaking of Jesus, and he said in Acts 2.32, uh, and Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. You know, Peter is basically telling all the witnesses that, hey, this isn't some fluke freakish thing going on here. And begin to explain to him about the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the fact that it's being witnessed to them, being uh, evidenced to them. Right as these, these people were filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. In Acts 7.55, there's a, a young man named Stephen. who's the, the first martyr. And says, but he, speaking of Stephen, he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. As Stephen was standing up for his belief, for his teaching, standing up for Christianity, standing up for the word of God, and the unbelievers are stoning him. He's, he's praying for him, And he's looking up into heaven. And as he looks up in heaven, he sees the glory of God. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He sees Jesus standing by God as he looks up. There's a few passages that speak of the three persons in one Godhead. And, I, yeah, I would urge you, because there's no way in, you know, I don't know, what we got, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, that we can exhaust all the, the references to the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit and the Son of God and God the Father all being united. I, I would encourage you, if you're, if you're new to Bible study, get you get you a Bible with a concordance in the back of it and look up words like Holy Ghost or Father, uh, Father God. See where those, those scriptures appear. Don't just read the scripture, read a little bit before and after. See what you can find yourself, a different references pointing out that God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost exist together at one time as one person. Uh, Romans fifteen sixteen says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Should be the minister of Jesus Christ. Wants to minister the gospel of God and be sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Mentioned all three. A little later on in the 30th verse, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, Son, for the love of the Spirit, Holy Ghost, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Ephesians 2.18 tells us that through him, speaking of Jesus, through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When we, when we pray to Jesus, you know, we're not just praying to the Son of God. It says in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. And since he came in the flesh, that fullness of the Godhead for a while on this earth dwelt bodily. It wasn't just the Son of God we saw in those pages of Scripture walking around. It's not just Jesus that does all the miracles. It's the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's God doing all of these things in the person of Jesus Christ. When we, uh, when we explain 
Trinitarianism. So I said, a lot of people don't believe in it. And a lot of argue, and that's, you know, look at how you want to, but the way I look at it is I can share the scriptures with you. I can explain. But if you don't want to accept it, that's up to you. I can't force it on you. But it's it's sad. It's sad that there are so many people that are spending spending their lives in a church someplace, going going and uh, studying whatever their particular doctrines are, singing their songs, and doing a lot of good deeds. They don't even really believe in God as He exists. They only believe in some part or some segment. I mean, I know this is a, a, a very, very, very different thing, but you know, what if you what if you've got three kids, and uh, your relatives only want to believe that one of them, one of them is really, really a kid. The other two, they just kind of show up every once in a while. You know, they don't belong to you. Uh, <laughs> You can't say much. You're, you're, you and your sisters look enough alike. You can't. <laughs> when we read the Articles of Faith in the Church of God, Declaration of Faith, the second article, I think it probably sums it up quite well. We believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, namely the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But when we read that and you know, we're trying to explain to somebody what we believe, it's going to take more than just reading that sentence. The Holy Spirit manifests himself so that we can have an opportunity to see God in action today so that we can see miracles happen so that we can put our faith to work Jesus works through that spirit that is his spirit when we speak of the spirit of God we might use a small s because we're talking about that maybe that part of God that makes him who he is and his life and all that. But at the same time, we're talking about a capital S too, in his case. When we talk about the moving force of God in our lives, we're talking about a being such as this world has never known before. And such as this world, for the most part, never will know. Because there's so many people, so many that don't know who he is and don't care to know who he is. We've got a great opportunity, at least in this church. We've got a lot, of, a lot of great teachers in here, a lot of men and women that have a, a far greater uh, knowledge of Scripture or wider grasp of it than I do. We've got a not only a well-educated, but spiritually sensitive pastor and 
as things are shared, whether it's a pastor sharing from, you know, from the pulpit or someone else standing up here sharing a lesson, singing a song, playing an instrument, whatever it is that we do, if we'll do it with that, the thought in mind, and we have to consciously do this, because what I'm about to tell you, the, de the devil doesn't want you thinking about. If we can consciously keep in our mind the fact that what we are doing this very moment is to be done to the glory of God, that what we're doing this very moment, the Spirit of God can use. He can energize it. He can take it and make miracles with it. That what we're doing, God himself has ordained. We'll be a lot more careful about what it is we're doing. And we have the opportunity to take that word that he's given us, to take the things that he's taught us, the things that he's shared with us, the things we know about him, and at the very least and the most important, the fact that how he has come into our life and saved us, how he has turned us into new creatures, we've got the right to share that. And we've got the right to share it with anybody and everybody. And it doesn't matter if they go to, even if they go to another church of God. So I'm going to tell you something. There's people sitting in the church of God, maybe this one, I hope not, but there's people that are sitting in other church of gods that have a Wednesday night service tonight. Or maybe even members of the church that don't know Jesus. They don't really know him. They know God. They know of God. They know of the things of God. But Jesus isn't real to them. God isn't real to them. He's that entity that they talk about on Sunday and Wednesday. He's that pie-in-the-sky spirit up there. He's not a real person. But he is. Kind of getting off subject here, but when my wife first got saved, um, had a little problem with praying. I mean, <laughs> Not, not in actually doing it, carrying it out, but in concentration. You know, whether she closed her eyes or kept her eyes open or looked at the Bible or whatever she did, it just felt kind of strange and didn't really feel like she was, you know, talking to God. She just couldn't get into it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. A dear, dear old lady in our church towards well uh, tell you what honey you drink coffee yeah. so when you get up in the morning why don't you fix two cups set one on the other side of the table and you sit down and you just picture Jesus sitting there and talk with him over your coffee that's all the prayer is talking to God you don't have to have some big fancy cathedral or an altar set aside in your house. If you do, great. But 
you don't have to get down on your knees, and I thank God for that because I can get down on them and get back up off of them. That's another story. God's working on that too, though. But if you know, if you've got a problem visualizing it, try that. You know, try sit down and a meal with God. You know, have coffee with Him. Take him out to McDonald's for a hamburger. Now, take him someplace better than McDonald's, but take him out for a hamburger, you know. <laughs> so, we got a couple minutes here. Um, just kind of wrap things up here. Um, I think next week there's something, I believe there's something different going on next week. You know. Uh, but anyway, the, when we get into the next uh, article of faith, you know, if you want to kind of jump ahead on the teaching you can do that uh and we get into it next time so this was article two uh article three i think i just lost i'll find it here eventually article three talks about the virgin virgin birth i'll just i'll read it to you real quick and like i said you can Kind of look look at it over and be ready for the next time. So Article 3 says, We believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, that Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven and is today at the right hand of the Father as the intercessor. We'll be looking into, into that the next time. Anyway, is there any you know, question or comment anybody want to make before we dismiss tonight? Yeah, Kim. See, the entire book of John, if you read it, you read it carefully, you'll see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit continuously through it. I mean, every every chapter practically mentions all three. And uh, especially you go on to John 1 and John 14, they really hit it hard. Another thing about that, if you're starting out in Scripture uh, and trying to get in the habit of reading it, uh, something I found was real simple. Book of John's a good place to start, but uh, can you read three chapters a day? You don't have to answer that, but I'm just, the reason I ask that is because if you can read three chapters a day, there's only 21 chapters in the book of John. So by the time you get through seven days, Hey, you've, you've knocked out a whole book. So it's, it's not that hard to read at all. <laughs> Anybody else, anything you wanted to say? Question? All right. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you do exist and that you do exist eternally. Whatever form we need, whatever person we need, and whether what we need comes through the Father, Son, or Holy Ghost, that you are our one God and you supply it. And Father, I just ask you to pour out your anointing fresh now upon each one, each one sitting here, each one at home, or one that might listen to this or watch it later, and allow us, O oh God, to recognize that power. Allow us to recognize who it is whose behalf we're speaking on, and that we have the power, the very power that you have given to lead other souls to Christ, that we have the power 
to call the enemy out, that we have the power to speak over darkness, that we have the power to speak over sickness and over disease, over spiritual troubles, over evil spirits, that you've provided this and given this as a part of the power of the Godhead, that you've anointed us with a God as your children. And Father, I ask you, Lord, protect each one, you know, as we leave here tonight. And I said, let us go with that thought in mind and give us the opportunity, Lord. Give us the opportunity to minister to other people in such a way that they too will see there's something different. There's something different going on with us. There's something different in our lives so we could share with them about you, our one triune God whom we love. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for your attention. Uh, as far as I know, we're fr free to go. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's anything else to say, so it's good night. <laughs>